0: bless you, God bless you this morning. Um, We have, um, the Lord kind of gave me a thing for uh, the studies of the Lord. I was thinking about this. One of the things that maybe we do a little bit different in preaching here, um, I think there's different styles and different approaches to preaching, not that we have, you know, the corner on preaching, but it seems like that we are in the studies of Jesus, learning about him. and call it the revelation of Jesus Christ in our life. I found out a long time ago, people can know me really well, and that's not going to help them too much. But if they get to know the Lord, and he stays a central focus of your life, then he's going to change your life. And move you. I know from experience myself that this is what God does. And so we're going to continue our studies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, I, I mean, there are, like I said, there are different styles of, of preaching for where uh, maybe evangel, evangelical, uh, rah, rah, and, you know, let's see if we can get people on the, the edge of their seat and I don't really plan to do that very much. I think there's sometimes when we all hit a note and everybody claps and says, yeah, that, that feels right in my spirit. But uh, we're not here just to do that. We're, we're not here to bandstand. We're not here to try and prove anything other than that the Lord wants to reveal himself to the church. And so we're, we're going to deal with something today that I don't think that I've uh, actually preached on before. And uh, this subject, we all know it. We've all read it. And I have read it and skipped over it at times. But if you go with me to the book of Hosea. This is not a book that we uh, normally spend a whole lot of time in. But the book of Hosea, there's, there's, a, there's a word there. And it's in the, uh, the 11th chapter. And it is the first verse of the 11th chapter. And so we'll go to the New Testament and find the repetition of this verse. But I like to, um, when it says in the New Testament, and the prophet said, then I like to go back and find out what he said and where it was and what it was about. And so let's look at this, uh, Hosea 11 and 1. And it said, when Israel was a child, then I loved him when Israel was a child. And I called my son out of Egypt. I called my son out of Egypt when Israel was a child. And I thought about that a little bit. Israel, uh, young, just being developed. And uh, where were they being developed from? They were in Egypt. And uh, Jesus, the Lord looked down. He said, I love my son, and I am going to call him out. I call him out of Egypt. Go to Matthew with me if you would. we're going to find the uh, the same quote of the verse. Uh, first, I want to read uh, Matthew the first verse of the book, and so go there to Matthew one one and the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the Son of David. The son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. If you go over into the second chapter of Matthew, same book, second chapter, and the 14th verse. And, excuse me, the uh, 13th verse. And they haven't departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph by a dream, saying, Rise up, take the child and his mother with you, and flee into Egypt, and be there until I shall tell you. For Herod is about to look for the child in order to destroy him. And having risen up, he took along the child and his mother by night, and they withdrew into Egypt. And he was there until the end of Herod, till Herod died. That might be fulfilled that spoken by the prophet of the Lord, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Out of Egypt I've called my son. We read the scripture in Hosea, 11 chapter, first verse, out of Egypt, I've called my son. So we're going to work on that this morning a little bit, and it might be a little bit different. Maybe you haven't heard this, this directly before, and so the Lord just ministered to you in it, out of Egypt, I've called my son. Lord, we just ask you now, at the breaking of your bread, your word, your life unto us, the words you spoke, they were spirit and life. I pray this morning that the words that we speak will just echo that same spirit in life, that you will minister and touch us, Lord, that you will enrich us in your word, enrich us in our knowledge and understanding of you, and I pray, God, that you would just cause us to be challenged by your word. We pray it in your name, Jesus, amen, amen, amen. We were talking the other night, um, one of the things that the scripture is given for, It's given for uh, reproof and doctrine and instruction in righteousness that the man of God, that the man of God may be perfect. There's nobody perfect out here. If you were perfect, you would need no more Word of God. So I'm going to say to you this morning, you're not perfect. Therefore, you need the Word of God so the Lord showed us something this morning, all right? Out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. It's amazing to me how that God ties things, uses Old Testament types, and brings them and ties them into Christ. I think it all goes back to that first idea is that God... In his wisdom and logos, in John one one, that God intended for Christ to be the prototype, and Christ to be the figurehead of everything that would come from creation. Everything about creation, everything about man, and the the creation of mankind, would point towards Christ as being that prototype of all things. Now, we can read the Scripture, and if you read it lightly, don't get into the Greek, and you just read King James Version or some other English version. And all the earth was created by Him. Uh, but the problem is, if you get into the Greek, it will read it differently. It will read it through Him, um, dia, but it will be, in a genitive case, so... That would mean because of Him. See, Jesus, the flesh man, the created being Jesus, is not the one who was in the beginning. There was a time when the Son was not. He is that picture of everything that God wanted to develop in the earth, to create in the earth. It comes through This whole notion of what God created as perfect. I want you to know something. There is only one perfect man. There's not many. Adam and Eve began in perfection, but they fell. And in their falling, they tainted the world. They tainted humanity for as long as humanity exists. But there is one that came that was perfect. Can you say amen? And He is the one that we always look to because His perfection, if we can just be like Him. And I know that you've thought about this, and I've thought about this too. Lord, how can I possibly be like the Lord? I can only be like Him if He's in me, working through me. Because I know when I work myself and my own works, they don't come out very good. Work the works of Him who sent us and so When we look at Jesus, and it's amazing, so we go to the Old Testament and we find all of these types and shadows and figures and parables, metaphors, everything that you find in the Old Testament, it's not about that. It's about Him. And so here we run into one of these again. Here's this other example of looking deeper into the word of the Lord than just shallow, looking deeper and finding a prophetic, revelated word of God that will show us about Christ. And so Hosea the prophet, I believe as he's ministering, he's prophesying his book of prophecy and yet he says a thing under inspiration that he doesn't know that he's going to be talking about something in the future. He's looking back and saying through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he's saying when, when Israel was young, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And you think about that a little bit is that God, He loves this, 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 this childlike heart. When we grow up to be men sometimes, we lose that heart. And the Lord was constantly telling him, unless you become as a child, unless taking a child up in his arm and said, unless you become as one of these, you can't enter the kingdom of God, is because God wants that child heart, that, that tender heart before him. And as long as Israel had that tender heart, God loved Israel. These are his chosen people. He looks in the earth, and his only chosen people are Abraham's kin. There's nowhere else to look. And so God loves them. They're down in Egypt's land. And Hosea says a thing about that, not realizing that he's not talking only about them, but he's also talking about Christ, which is to come. If you look any study into this, you're going to find out that Bible scholars do not believe that Jesus went down to Egypt. They don't believe that story of Herod, that Herod killed the babies. They just flat don't believe it. The reason why they don't believe it is because there is no historical evidence that is written down about Herod. And so they believe that this was a concocted story of the early Christian church and that Matthew put that story in the Bible. I'm going to have a problem with that. First of all, these are the same men that teach very strongly that the Word of God is inerrant. But yet now we'll tell you that, that Herod did not kill the babies. And therefore, if Herod was not searching out Jesus' life to kill him, then he would not have had to flee to go to Egypt. But we have before us a choice, and, and I present this choice to you all the time. You can either believe God or you can believe man. It's really up to you. If you have to be proven to you that God is the truth, you got a problem. I believe God's Word. Now, there are things, and we know this, we've, we've studied uh, uh, certain things that have been Added to Scripture a word here, a thing there that possibly wasn't in the Greek text. But not that you take a whole event and say that that event did not happen. That this is going to cause people to begin to doubt in the inherency, inerrancy of the Word of God. But because Chris, uh, history has not recorded it, It doesn't mean that it was made up by the Christian church. There's a lot of things history has not recorded. Did you know up until recently, some years ago now I I was studying this, they could not prove that there was a king named David. So you might as well take his Psalms and throw them away. You might as well take what Jesus said about David. He quoted David more than any other man. More than any other prophet. Take what David did and David said, and just throw it away because we didn't. We can't prove it in history that that he was even a king, until they did some archaeology and did find his name. Oh yeah, well okay, I guess it's not just Jewish tradition that that he is. Listen, the word of God was right all the time. I mean, these history revisionists—they go back and try and change history and make it different they're doing that all the time with with creation and and they started that with evolution and you can go that way and so let's make it real soft for the Christian the Christian will say well I believe in both you know I believe in science I believe in evolution and I believe in creation that there was a higher power that created but then it all evolved I don't believe that mess at all God created the heaven and earth like it is God created humanity like they are he breathed into them the breath of life we have stayed we were never monkeys we were never anything else I believe the Word of God and the Word of God will stand sure let every man be a liar but the word of god stand up in the face of that can you say amen amen well let's give the lord a hand clap of praise right there so the bible is the most accurate source of world history not what somebody wrote not what somebody thought, somebody said, or revisionist going back. The Bible, from creation to the last apostle that wrote his epistle. I believe the Word of God is reliable. I have built, I have staked my life, my eternity on the Word of God. And I'm not changing that. Not for somebody who would like to feel differently listen if the story of Herod is wrong then the magi are false too they did not come if the magi are false then their rendition of the star that was in heaven is false if the star is false then scripture itself is unreliable i got to read you something here that that Balaam said. We all know Balaam. He's a rascal. But the Spirit of God moved upon him. He went down to Balak. He went down to curse the people of Israel. And he ended up saying, hey, what God has blessed I cannot curse. What God has sanctioned I can't tear it apart. But it said the Spirit of the Lord moved on him. Look at this in Numbers, the 24th chapter. And I just want to read you a couple of verses here. And he took up his parable, he said, Balaam the son of Baor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, he has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, fallen into a trance and having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now, I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And so when you begin to ravel and, 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 and reduce the word of God, not just one or two scriptures are going to fall out of place because they are held together by the strength of the Lord that God did do these things. And we believe that by his power, he caused them to come to pass. Can you say Amen. Jeremiah's prophecy here also at the end of this when Herod went and killed the babies and it said Rama and the weeping in Rama and the lamentation Rachel is crying because of the children and she cannot she cannot let it go this morning because of the loss of life we're going to have to take Jeremiah and throw him out too because we know Rama is just another term for Ephrata and Ephrata is where Rachel was buried by her husband. And and Ephrata became Bethlehem, the house of of Jesse and David and and the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are weeping and crying and mourning for the children and they cannot be comforted. See, there's a domino effect when you begin to pull things out of the word of God and you try to change and delete and, and change portions of scripture. There is a domino event that will happen and it will begin to fall out of place in your life. And that's why I preach to you Of God is quick and powerful, even down to the joints and the marrow, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of a man's heart. Can you say amen? And so I'm going to build this morning on the fact that this really did happen. Is everybody okay with that? Or shall we take Joe down here at Bible school and he says it didn't happen? Because he couldn't find it in history. I found it in history. I found it in the best history book there is in the Scripture Word of God. So listen, let's just back this up a little bit. It's recorded that Herod called the great. They should have called him Herod the demon-possessed. he was called Herod the Great. It is recorded in history that he killed his wives. More than one. It is recorded in history that he killed his children. Anyone that he felt was a threat to his throne or his power, he wiped them out. Now, that's a pretty crazy man that would kill his wife, more than one wife, and then kill his heirs. Well, one of the problems was is that one of the ladies that he married, he didn't believe that she was worthy to have heirs that could take his throne, so he just killed them out. And then he took other sons and placed them, you know, in Judea, one of his sons came into his reign. Uh, Philip in in, Galilee. Some sons that he did appoint, but he did murder other sons. Would this wild man, this crazy man, refrain from murdering Jewish babies? What would stop him from murdering a Jewish baby? Because the wise men did come and tell him, We saw his star. Where is he that is born to be king? And and so now if you go to the tents here, the one who is already born to be king, he's already already sort of in place. And we have this wrong idea uh, because the Catholic Church has taught us uh, about the manger scene. And uh, we've got... We, got, I, I think, I think our buddy there that where we used to live, and he won the prize every year for having the best uh, um, Christmas display in the in the city or county. Man, he was good. He had it all. He had the nativity scene. He had he had all the stuff going here and there, and and he had I love it because he had the sle- Santa sleigh, and it was coming right down over the nativity scene. Man, it was just he had it all. The wise men were there. The donkeys were there. And so y'all have some of the nativity scene stuff. We got rid of ours because we just got convicted. Said, so Lord, no, this is no good. I convicted Kay. And, uh, but the wise men are there, right? He's birthed and they're there and they're presenting. No, no, no. No, no. That that's That's not the case. They don't come to him in the tower where he was born. That's, that's not where they come. They come to him in a house. And he's not an infant. And the Greek will do this for you. It's one of the reasons why we study the Greek New Testament. He's not an infant, he's a pedion. The pedion is a child that now is learning. An infant is not learning, he's just sitting in mama's lap. I mean, we've got the twins. They're 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 you know just getting a little bit older, and but they just sit in mom and daddy's lap and everybody else's lap, and but the boys, they're learning. They got to learn, got to grow up and learn. They would be considered the Greek word pateon, because they are young children that are beginning to understand the voice of mom and dad and learning right from wrong. And this is the word that's used when the Magi comes. And and so, and I had to deal with this because the book of Luke, if you read the account of the birth of Christ in the book of Luke, it will say this and when they had finished all of the of the law according to the birth of Jesus and gone down to the temple taken him and presented him there and when they finished that they went back to Nazareth and i'm thinking lord i could but matthew says they went to egypt so how can i reconcile what's going on here did he go to nazareth or did he go to egypt and then i realized something it was not an infant that the wise men saw rather it was a young child that the wise men saw i believe they did go back to nazareth but then the scripture said his parents went down every year down to jerusalem by the time that the wise men get there they have traveled 900 miles You ever traveled 900 miles on a camel have you ever crossed the desert traveling 900 miles on a camel you're not going to get there overnight now we do that we get on we hop a plane and we're 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 in california we're wherever in just a few hours (laughs) not so then i mean it was a treacherous journey and they're following that star because they These guys are reading the signs in the heaven, the stars of the heaven, and they have found the star. Somehow they realize, I believe it goes all the way back to Daniel and his teaching about Christ. And I think that these wise men followed that and, and understood Daniel. And when they understood Daniel, who was part of them or with them, and now many years later, they see the star. And they're following the star. And by the time they get there, I don't believe the star was there before the Christ was born. I believe the star appeared in the heaven when the Christ was born. And so 900 miles, 900 miles. That's, that's a pretty long journey. I don't know how long it took them, but I would say that it took them more than a few days. Like they say, this is going to take a minute. And they traveled, traveled. And now when they get there, they're asking about this, this child. And, and Herod now is incensed. Because it's not just the birth of the child. Now, when? Tell me exactly when you saw the star. Because he wants to know the time span of this. If it had just happened, the the baby had just been born, it's no problem. But now he wants to know approximately how old do I need to go up killing children in order to get him? And so they tell him when they saw the star. It doesn't, doesn't record that year or time or date in, in, in the Scripture. But they told him approximately when they saw the star. And he figured out two years and down. Have you ever wondered why he went up to two years? If the Christ was just born, the Magi are there, the camels are there, the, the sheeps are lowing, the drummer boys there. Everything's going on. And all they got to do is just find that little parade there, and they just get right to it. No, because these these men have reported they've been traveling a long time and have seen this star a while. And Herod says, "Well, I'm going to take it from two, and down." I believe the angel of the Lord came to Joseph. Can you say, "Amen"? Do you believe the angel of the Lord came to Joseph in the first chapter in the 20th verse where the angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Don't be afraid to take Miriam as your wife because that which is birthed in her is not birthed by a man but is birthed by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you believe that? The same angel came to him in a dream in in the second chapter, uh, 2.13. He's dreaming again. Same angel that told him, About what was in Mary's womb shows up again and he believes the angel because the angel was right the first time because Joseph knew that he had had no relation with her and did not have relations with her until after that child was born and he knew that this was from God he knew that the angel was right and so the second time when the angel comes to him and says take the child and his mother and go down to Egypt I believe it was easier for him to say yes because he knew that that angel had told him the truth the first time right amen and so I believe it's the same angel that told him to go down he has another dream later on when they're down there in the 19th verse the second chapter and that's when the angel says now you can take them back into the land of Israel because it, and those that seek him to kill him are dead. So Joseph takes the child, the Padeon, and the mother by night down to Egypt. And uh, so there's this, this question now about how long were they in Egypt? Have you ever wondered about that? if this was a part of their life i've never heard it preached on anybody here ever heard it preached on jesus was in egypt and how long i've never heard that but if it was a part of their life like the scripture says then something was going on down in egypt that the lord needed to be there for a while and 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 you know the dates sometimes are kind of hard to ascertain i mean we have ad B.C. and A.D. Does everybody know what that's about? And the Catholic Church tried to center that on the birth of Christ. It's not really. I, now uh, they say that can't be accurate. It's because when the world was taxed then in in, in the book of Luke and they came down from um, Nazareth down to the city of David, it was 6 B.C. That's that's when they find out when that taxation, that, that uh, census was taken. And so that doesn't, you know, that. That kind of doesn't match with ADBC because we're talking six years prior. And and so, but we know one thing is that they called the um, census 6 BC, but Herod died 4 AD. So there's 10 years there. If the birth of Christ was at that census, 6 BC, and he was a young child and they came back down every year, down to the city of David so that they could go to the feast. Jesus could have been in Egypt four, five, six years. He could have been ten years old when they left out of Egypt. That's just a point of interest, you know, if you can study those dates and times. I mean, it's, it may, you may seem, well, that's kind of incidental. But, but I want to say this, though, because It wasn't just an overnight trip. Go down and stay in the Hilton down there, and and then, uh, you know, Herod's going to die. No, Herod stayed on his throne for a while, and he kept doing his thing for a while. And then all of a sudden, the Lord says, that's time. Herod dies. The angel of the Lord goes back to uh, Joseph, and there Joseph will be obedient one more time. So Joseph takes the son. Joseph is a, it's, this is another interesting point. Joseph, the father of Jesus, his father is named Jacob. Joseph is the one that takes Jesus down to Egypt. Abraham's seed. Jesus is that blessed Abraham's seed. Not many seeds, but one Isn't it interesting that Joseph was responsible for bringing Israel down to Egypt the first time? That's an interesting thing. His father's name was Jacob. And so we almost have this like sort of synonymous thing, parallel thing going on. Why? Because everything that happened back there was just a picture of what was going to happen up here. so joseph son of jacob he takes abraham's seed and he takes him down into egypt because His life is threatened. Well, that's why Israel went to Egypt the first time, because they thought that they were going to die of famine and hunger, and God prepared Joseph to go down ahead of them, and ultimately, Jacob and the whole crew came down, and it was because God wanted to protect them from death. Isn't it amazing that they both went to Egypt? Why couldn't one of them go to Syria and could have stayed? Because God does things so that we can see His prophetic word is right and accurate, and it's on point every single time God's words on point so it's amazing when Israel was a child then I loved him I I called my son out of Egypt I called him out of Egypt and and so y'all know the exodus the Passover the preparation to leave the flesh and the blood of the lamb 430 years have been developing as a nation in Egypt. God hears their cry. They want to get out. God hears their cry and said, I'm going to bring my son out of Egypt in. And he does. They do the Passover. Blood on the doorpost. Blood on the lentils. Eat the lamb. And they head out. Covered by the blood of the Passover. Can you say amen? They get to a Red Sea. In 1 Corinthians, it'll tell us that they were baptized in the Red Sea. But they weren't really baptized in the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army were baptized in the Red Sea. And they didn't come out. Let me try and use baptism. as I always like to go that too. And then Jude said that, I think it was Jude that said that, um, that, that Noah and his eight were saved by water. They sure were, but the ones that were in it weren't. The baptism of going through a transition of what they were and what they're going to be Something different than how they lived in Egypt. I'm bringing you out of there, but I'm taking you through a transition. It looks like baptism, but it's a transition to take you from being an Egyptian to following Egyptian leaders, to building up the kingdom of Egypt. And I'm bringing you out of there, transitioning you, placing you to build up the kingdom of the Lord because there's a promise There's a promise waiting. You're going from transition from sin and trouble. You're going out of the devil's kingdom into the kingdom of God. If we look at Jesus being down there, and I think possibly four or five years, I don't know how long they were there. But they were there long enough that that Herod eventually died from whatever causes. That angel speaks to Joseph, you get up and get out of there. But when you come out of Egypt, you've got to have a lamb. When you come out of Egypt, you've got to have the blood. When you come out of Egypt, there's got to be a Passover. But they don't need a physical little lamb anymore. They've, they've got the Son. They've got the one who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God will call them out of there. And Jesus... If you know anything about Scripture, Jesus is the Passover of God. And so they will travel. Jesus will not be baptized for another 20 years. But let me tell you something about the baptism of Jesus. There's a lot of question floating around. Would Jesus need you to get baptized to get saved? That's blasphemy. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned in his life. He never, the only time he was touched with sin was on the cross when he took took our sin and he took it to the cross and nailed it to the cross. Jesus was perfect. He came the first time without sin unto salvation and he shall return the second time without sin. He is glorious. He needs no baptism for sin, but he will take a baptism of transition. He's just lived the family life. He's been a carpenter with his father, Joseph. He has been just just a family friend. He's lived in Nazareth. But now it's time at the years of 30 that he will go down to Jordan River and there there is going to be a great transition in his life. He's not going into the water to get saved. He's not going into the water to meet God. He's going into the water because he needs to transition out of the life he was in to the messianic ministry and anointing falls all over the man Christ Jesus. He won't be just a family man anymore. He's going to be the great Messiah that was to come to the world. I like it because, because Matthew will look back and say he just fulfilled the scripture in doing this. My son have I called out of Egypt. It seemed like Egypt had him. It seemed like Egypt had Israel, and there was no way of escape. But when God calls it out, you come out. Can you say that? Amen? amen. Now, I think we did all that to do this. Every son and daughter that God has, he has called out of Egypt. Oh, there's none righteous, no, not one. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Savior, Jesus, it's because He called you out of Egypt. See, Egypt is a great type of sin's power. Not just sin, but the power of sin. They run his army, the, the taskmasters. Sin had power over you. You can sit here this morning and say, no, I, I really, I, I could do my own thing. And, and I, I just, you know, I just sin because I like to and, and I could stop anytime. Every drug addict says that. You could never stop sinning. You can't do it. You might take vacation, but you're going right back to it. We did that with, with some, of the, some of the kids in, in discipleship. They just took vacation. They didn't leave sin. They just took a vacation from it. Because you have no power over sin in yourself. You can't quit sinning. Somebody say amen. You could try, you can, you can turn over a new leaf. You can you can come to New Year's and make new resolutions. You can't quit sinning, it has the power over you. But when God calls you out, He delivers you from the power of sin. Sin no longer reigns over you. You are delivered from the power of sin. Do you still have a choice? Do you still have a will? Is it still possible for you to sin? Oh yeah, you can. But sin doesn't rule you anymore. Because you have the curse of sin has been broken off your life. That second Adam that came, he, he reversed the curse. So no longer you're born in sin, you're shaped in iniquity, but... But Jesus Christ delivers you out of the power of sin. Thank the Lord. Can you say amen? And that's why Paul can look back and say, hey, some of you were drunkards. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you had adultery in your life. Some of you were thieves. But that's what we used to be. Because we didn't have any power over the flesh. We didn't have power over sin in our life. But thanks be unto God now, you were once in darkness. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. But thank God that He has made us alive in Christ Jesus. See, as long as Israel is down in Egypt, he's submitted to the power of Egypt there. Really can't do too much about it. But when God calls his son out of that place, he's going to break the curse of sin off of them and give them precious liberty in their life. They don't have to sin anymore. Listen, you don't have to sin any longer because the power of Jesus Christ has set you free. Amen to that. Amen to that. Amen to that. And so there is there's a time that God called every one of us. I I like the word for the church, the Greek word. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. That's well that's church. Well, really what the word means is the called out ones. It's not just churchy folks. It's not I joined a Baptist church, a Methodist church, Pentecost church. No, no, that's not. It's those who he called out. If you haven't been called out this morning, you're not part of the ecclesia. You can come to the body. You can sing. You can give money. But God calls his sons and daughters out. You're not in anymore. You're out. Oh, yeah, you were pressing to, to, to help the devil's kingdom, whether you knew it or not. Jesus said your father was the devil. Well, really, your your parent, the one parenting over you was the devil. But listen, we have heard the joyful sound. Can you say amen? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And not only does he just save us from. We've been talking about this and here it goes alright we've been talking about this and, 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 and let me say it again when you receive Jesus when he calls to you with the gospel and you receive him as Lord and Savior instantly his blood is applied to your life You don't have to beg, you don't have to plead, it's not about your prayer, it's about your receiving that He is Lord, that He is Lord God, and when I take Him, I get the attributes of who He is, and what He is, is salvation, Yeshua, God has come to save us, and so when He calls, when He calls me out, I may not know everything, but if I can know that He is Lord, then instantly, instantly, I become saved by the power of Jesus Christ. And we begin this long journey out of sin and into a life of following Jesus Christ. And now let me take you to baptism. And so why are we worried about baptism? Because it's just a subject that's been coming up. In baptism, you are transitioning... From your old life to your new one I'm dying out to my old man and I'm raising up renewed in Christ Jesus because I want to put that life away can you say amen now Israel even after they had come through um, the Red Sea they begin to look back and they said this that even with the taskmasters and all that went wrong back there in the slavery, still we had the, the leeks and melons and onions. And we had some good stuff back there in sin. I want to tell you this. When you go through the baptism, when you go through the transition in your life, never look back at what sin has to offer you back there. We're not there any longer. We've been set free and we're walking this life, to follow Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And everything that we do now, everything that we do now is to follow our Lord and our Savior. And it's beautiful because He's called us out. Now, finally, let me close here. Ephesians 4.1, I exhort you to walk worthy of the calling of, Of which you were called. So when I'm a young man, I believe this scripture is talking about preachers. The calling, right? So this one's called, that one's called, and they need to walk worthy. They really, really do. But realize this morning that every one of you are called. It's not preachers are called, no, no. Every single one. If you're in the Ecclesia, you are called out. And so the instruction now for you and I, we've been called out. We, we, we turn away from there. We have transitioned our life into following Jesus Christ. And now, walk worthy of the calling. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That might be where we stumble, get in a little bit of trouble. The word worthy here is it means having worth that matches the actual value. Let me tell you this being called out of from under the power of sin is not a light thing. It's not to be tampered with and toyed with. Can you say hey, amen? You know, well well I'll do I'll, I'll, I'll do the Samson thing. I'll go down and, and dabble a little bit and come, hey, the Spirit of the Lord's still on me, we're good to go. And pretty soon you do that, you're right back in Egypt. You did take the trail back. Just you're going to have to swim through the Red Sea to get there, though. God's not going to part it to get you back over there. You're going to have to refuse what God's done in your life to get back there. But I want to walk worthy of the calling. Lord, you called me. You called me out. You called all of us out of the power of sin. you call called everyone that's sitting in this building this morning. You've called us out of the power that the devil tried to exercise over us. That taskmaster, that demon, he wanted to ruin our lives. He wanted to tear us up. He wanted to take us down just like he does everyone else. But thank God we got a building full of people this morning that heard the call and they have come out. And you've come out by the power of Jesus. You have aligned your life with him. He has become your Lord and your Savior. And because of that, You are out of sin. Now walk worthy and follow Him. Walk worthy. Walk it out. What do I need to do? Jesus paid such a high price for me. What do I need to do? I've got to pay Him back some. I need a better paying job so I can really pay Him off. Let me tell you how to pay Him off. Just walk it out in front of Him. Just walk out this life. That's all he wants you to do is just follow. In the Old Testament, it was follow the cloud, follow the pillar of fire. All you need to do now is just follow the spirit of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't need to do great things. You don't need to mighty things. Boy, I've got to go out and deliver people and, and, and set them free and, and do all kinds of great works of power. No, you don't. What you need to do is follow Jesus Christ in your life. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Would you stand?